This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. You're listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. Today we have with us Holly Cardew, founder and CEO of Pixie. Welcome to the program, Holly. Thanks for having me on. So thanks for joining us today and uh, congrats on what you're building with Pixie. It's a great Aussie success story. So, yeah, um, still have so long to go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? So yeah. Holly, tell us how you got started as an entrepreneur. We'd love to hear the story. Yeah, I think I've always kind of been entrepreneurial. I was actually opened my eBay account when I was 14 years old. And so I think it's just been kind of in my DNA to start a business or at least create value for customers. The way I got started with Pixie is I was actually living in regional New South Wales in Orange and I was helping businesses out there who had a physical store, really good physical uh, retail store, but no online presence. And so what I did was I started going around to the businesses and saying, hey, can I help you get your stock online, but also help you build an online presence with Instagram and Facebook. And that became quite popular because there was no one out there really doing digital things or things online and bringing those products online to customers. And so even in the country, they didn't live in orange or like within the radius of the store. They could see what was physically in store by posting on Instagram and posting on Facebook. And so that would create awareness for the physical store and then more customers would come into the store. So that's kind of how I got started in the e-commerce space a little bit. And then I realized that all the product content that everybody was giving me was terrible. So all their photos, all their descriptions to upload. And I was like, why can't I create some system that makes it so much better for the retailer? And then I launched Pixie. Amazing. And growing up, you know, you sort of said you, you have always seen yourself as an entrepreneur. You know, is, did you know from a very young age? I mean... When, when, when did you sort of realize you wanted to be in business? I didn't think I realized that I wanted to be in business. What I did realize, though, from a very young age, and this is very clear, I remember when I was 13, I had a friend and she had this very expensive bikini. It was $110 and I couldn't understand why it was the same shape and same material as our Bonds underwear that cost about $5 compared to a bikini, which was $110. So I remember cutting out, you know, patterns and things like that, saying I was going to just get the Bonds underwear copied into a bikini. So I kind of realized from a very young age the perceived value. The other thing was that I had um, a family friend had a sponge cleaning, like a sponge company, and I was responsible in the holidays to package sponges. One was uh, yellow and one was blue and I couldn't understand what the value difference was because they were going into different packets a bathroom packet and a kitchen packet and I would ask the parents and say hey what's the difference they're like nothing it's just the it's just the packaging what we write on the packet and I thought that was the biggest um sort of I guess I learned about branding and marketing and thought it was a bit of a ripoff um and so Seeing those sorts of things constantly happening to the end customer, I realized that there was room to basically provide something of value to users or customers. So I got really excited about that. And then when I discovered eBay and that I could sell online and then I discovered, you know, building a website, a very basic website because I'm non-technical, I discovered that I could get a user and create some value for them and they would pay me in return. 
Fantastic. So tell us a bit about Pixie um, for those who aren't familiar with, uh, with, with your business and, you know, and how you got started and, and who, who do you target? Who do you, who's your customer? Yeah, so Pixie is currently, we are automating the image editing and image optimization for e-commerce stores. So what that means is if you're shopping online and you see all those products on a white background and all aligned and neat for e-commerce stores, we do that using people on demand and algorithms and fix uh, stores images. So that's basically what we do in a nutshell. How it got started was I was building e-commerce stores for these retailers and their product images were terrible, but everybody had a smartphone. So I really want to be be able to automate that process for the merchants themselves. Today, we target typically SMBs, so not necessarily hobbyists, but a store that does half a million to $10 million in revenue. They have a high volume of turnover of stock, so of clothing, of furniture, etc., And we basically connect to their store using an API, so with their Shopify store or their big commerce store, and edit their photos on demand and push them back within 24 hours. Cool. That's awesome. And have you managed to raise much capital since you started? We're mainly bootstrapped. I've been part of two accelerator programs, one in Australia and one here in San Francisco. And then I have an angel investor. So I'd say less than 200K US. Excellent. And then the rest of the money's come from customers. Yeah, cool. And what, what was it like in the in the very early days and sort of how did you get those initial customers to start with? So it was really manual to begin with. I literally put up a landing page and I guess I learned from that because prior to Pixie, I actually built two other websites. I built a travel website when I was 18 and I spent a lot of money getting an agency to build it. And then I built a e-card website with a dev shop an overseas dev shop and I spent a lot of money with them and I'd spent so much money and didn't really have a customer. So with Pixie, I literally put up a landing page, which I taught myself how to build on WordPress. And now there's all these landing page builders where you don't even need to know how to code. And we said, okay, you can get your images edited. Just it was literally a contact form, no login button, nothing. We had a contact form that had your name, your email and a link to your Dropbox files. And you would fill out, the customer would fill out the form and I would find somebody online to edit the photos and then I would count all the photos, send them a PayPal invoice. Once the photos were edited, I would send their photos back in the Dropbox folder. And we literally emailed, I thought, and this is actually what I really like to tell people is think about a place where your customer is. So we would think about, okay, the customers we want to target are about to go to a trade fair and they need their product catalog ready. So we're going to edit the photos for them prior to their trade fair. So we'd email everyone three months in advance and see who needed their photos done. Yeah, right. And what um, sort of response rate did you get from that? It was pretty good considering somebody, because our webpage was really dodgy and if anyone wants to go look at it, you can use Wayback Machine, (laughs) which is a website which shows you your website years ago. We had a customer in another state, so I was in Sydney at the time and they were in Queensland and they submitted 800 photos in our third week. So I was like, okay, this is a bigger problem. Not only am I like solving a problem for people locally, I'm now solving the problem for somebody in another state and that was really cool to see. Okay, and is that is that the point when you realise you've got a product that customers are actually going to want? Yes. I mean, definitely like early stage just because it was somebody who had no idea who I was we pulled 
actually weren't even registered as a company. We just had a domain name and a dodgy landing page. And if you can get a customer when you have that, then you realize you've got something. Yeah, awesome. So Holly, you've been through a couple of accelerators or incubators, 500 startups and MuruD. So could you tell us a bit about these programs, how they helped you as a founder? And would you recommend them to, to other founders thinking about going through such programs? Yeah, so I think for me, they were really important just because five years ago, so in 2014, when I started MuruD or like, say like, the ecosystem and accelerator programs didn't really exist. I was part of Moody's first batch of companies. And so I didn't even really know what a startup was. And I had a friend who I did know, and he mentioned he was an advisor or mentor at Moody. He suggested I applied. And so I think it just opened my eyes to like, what is pitching? What is fundraising? How does a startup work? And Moody actually brought us over to San Francisco. And that's when I realized like there's a whole nother world. And then I did 500 startups because, again, I arrived in the in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, in 2015, at end of 2014. I had no network. Anyone here expected you to either have gone to Stanford or worked at Google or Facebook, and I didn't have any of that. So for me, it just basically opened up a network of people. I think accelerated programs are great for some people. I think now, though, Australia has an incredible ecosystem that people can tap into. And, you know, it really has in the last five years or last four years, it's become very global. So you can literally use Twitter, LinkedIn to reach out to anyone in the world and get connections wherever you want. Whereas people in, say, San Francisco didn't take Australian companies as seriously. Or if you had a distributed team, you wouldn't be able to access people elsewhere because they didn't take you seriously. Whereas now it's so easy. There is like Aussie groups in the Bay Area that you can tap into and networks. There are co-working spaces everywhere. I mean, there was no WeWork in Australia four years ago. I don't think there were. There was fish burners and a couple of co-working spaces, but it wasn't as big as it is today. So I think unless you really want something specific from the program, you can do a program. But other than that, I think the network is there. You just need to go out and reach out to those people. And Holly, you're speaking to us today from Silicon Valley, from San Francisco, and you've spent a fair bit of time over there with your business. Tell us a bit about what's, what's it like over there? You know, How have you managed to kind of tap into the network there what advice would you have for other founders thinking about spending some time in in the bay area yeah it's a really great question i was speaking to a founder just this afternoon who is just spending about a week and a half over here it's his first time over and he was saying how like overwhelming it is and i said what you need to do is the the silicon valley san francisco is such an incredible place because you can have coffee with anyone everyone is super helpful and open to helping you wherever they can. I think the key thing I was saying to this other founder was that you have to decide, be so decisive in what you want. You'll come here and there's a lot of, there is a lot of noise. They're amazing people. And I've been coming back and forth for the last five years, but you need to decide what you want because you'll come here and you'll have people going, you need to fundraise. You need to build a team here. And that might not be right for your company. So you have to really think about what what do you want and what is right for your company. And I have friends here who are raising money here and who are building incredible teams here. But for me, being here, I don't need to build out a team here. I need to be here for partnerships and customers and networking. And I absolutely love the learning in San Francisco just because you have people who have grown a company from zero to 500 employees or been an early employee at a large tech company. But I personally don't need to build a team here just because that's not where all of our customers are. So I think that's my advice is 
everyone should come here and see what it's like, even if you go home, but don't necessarily do what everybody else says you should do. Make sure you're doing it for you and what you want and how you want your company to be. Yeah, it makes sense. And your team, like, is that just in Australia or in, in some in, in the Bay Area or is it all over the world? We have a completely distributed team. I did that from the beginning just because I was in the country and there wasn't really anyone to hire. So we have people, we don't have anyone in the Bay Area at the moment. I have a couple of people in Australia, people in Europe, people in Asia, people in America, just not in San Francisco. This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace, to find a convenient parking space near your home or office. And how did you go about building that team in the in the early days? So I started using a platform called Upwork to hire my first people. And then I guess over the years, I've used LinkedIn and AngelList. I think what's absolutely key if you are building a remote team or any team is that you make your hiring decisions based on your your values and making sure you have values aligned with the other people, especially remote employees, because you can't just have lunch with them. Uh, you need to be able to have phone calls with them, but you won't have that time, sort of that off time where you're socializing or you go out to a bar or have a drink on a Friday night. Yeah, it makes sense. And have you had many of the team members that you've had not work out? I actually think that we have really high retention rate. Our lead engineers have been with us for four years. Um, most people have been with us for over two and a half. I think there are definitely people who don't work out and that's because I think two reasons. I don't, maybe I don't push them enough in the interview. Maybe I'm too nice and I could sort of, I don't think they realize that it is a startup. Not everybody is fit for a startup. And the other thing is not everyone's fit for remote work. Typically we hire people who have already worked remotely but not everybody has worked remote and so they're not sure what to do. And if you're not self-motivated and, you know, passionate about getting up and working by yourself, essentially, even though you can talk to any of the team, then it's not going to work out. Yeah. yeah, Works really well for introverts. (laughs) And what tips would you have for founders looking to hire remotely? Do you use platforms like Upwork or We Work Remotely? How, How do you find your teams? Yeah, so I would, I mean, I like Upwork just because, well, we are a US registered company and Upwork takes care of all the legal contracts and payments. Otherwise, you can hire directly if you find people on LinkedIn or AngelList um, or any other platform and then you, you can do contracts outside and then do pay by transfer wise. I think the one key thing is like make a, build a culture that you're, really aware of like what do you want your culture to look like and explain that to the people who you are bringing on board just because they don't get it then it won't be a great match yeah makes sense and what made you register your company in the u.s versus registering it in australia we are registered in australia we were originally registered in australia and this goes back to actually well it makes it easy if you ever wanted to be a quiet acquired then or get investors then people typically it's easier for your u.s company but having said that again this is four or five years ago where everybody told you you have to be in the bay area you have to have a u.s delaware c corp etc etc i think times are changing like i don't i think and it's changed so fast because there are people now like 500 startups do invest in companies who are not registered in delaware so a lot of the again 
that's, I guess, part of the noise that I'm talking about. You come to the Valley and everyone says you need to raise here, you need to have a company like this, you need to, et cetera. But I was one of the earlier Australians who came to the Bay Area. Um, there are definitely people, wait, lots of people before me, but because there wasn't any, you know, a lot of accelerator programs, those founders weren't coming over where they all are now. So people would say you need to be registered in Delaware, otherwise you're not going to get any investment. So even be- just before 500 startups, I was like, I better rate, I better uh, register in Delaware because if I want 500 startups to be, if I want to be part of 500 startups and get them to invest, then I need to be a Delaware sequel. But that's not the case now. Yeah, yeah. It does help in situations, but it's not the case. Yeah, I think a lot has definitely changed over the last sort of four or five years. Yeah. And, and so talk to us about how you got to scale and what, what were some of the sort of best marketing things that you did that uh, helped, you, helped you get that scale? I think the key thing that's really helped us scale is channel partners. So integrating directly into platforms from a product standpoint, again, thinking about where is your customer and what other products are they using and how can you make that user experience the easiest as possible. And so we looked at them, you know, in a way, it's a win-win on both sides. It makes the user experience better for the customer, but also gives you access to a lot of stores. So we integrated with Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce, another platform called Kit. And we are also building partnerships out with other e-commerce platforms. And I think that's actually been really key for us because you basically are leveraging larger companies that already, A, number one, have the budget, they have the team, and then they're happy to promote your product. So some of the time, most of the time, you do need to give them a commission or a cut. So for example, you might go to a platform and they want to increase their revenue because they're a publicly listed company. Um, they think your service or your product's great and they will they have a whole team of salespeople who will sell your product. So that's worked really well for us. Yeah, great. And so we've all had hearing moments in our business. Holly, can you share one one of those um, along your journey and, and how you sort of got through it? Yeah, I think I haven't had like an exact hairy moment that I can remember because I think as a founder, it's always, I don't sound so negative, it's not always bad, but it's always, you just always expect the worst. So it's never been terrible. Like we haven't gone out of business. But I think the hardest thing I find in business is actually firing people. I never enjoy it. And the hardest is when you don't, you have a gut feeling about something or someone and you have to deal with it. So I think I've become, how I get through it is just become better at doing the stuff you hate first. So I just, if I don't have a good feeling anymore, I don't wait around. Like the first time, you know, first time it happens, you probably wait six months and you don't do it. And the next time you're like, okay, I'm going to cut this down to three months, then two. And then you just get to like, oh, it's bad. They're going tomorrow sort of thing. I know that sounds really harsh, but every day in a startup is resources that could be going elsewhere. And if you don't get rid of those people who you have or act on your gut feeling, then you're just wasting time. They say uh, hire slowly, fire quickly, right? Not, not, yes. not easy to do that in both, in both exactly. situations. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I reckon it's one of the hardest things to do in business is to, to fire someone. Definitely. Yeah. You never feel good about it. No. no. So looking back, was there something that, that you've built or that you did that's become a cr- critical sort of success factor in your business, Holly? I think perseverance 
is really, really important. You're going to have a lot of people telling you a lot of things and you just have to, again, go with your gut and believe in yourself to keep going. So I think that's been a critical factor because it's not like we've been around for a year and we're a rocket ship, but I think just keep listening to your customers and asking what they want from a pro- both like a product point of view from a future product point of view and a previous like your current product and then keep building on top of that and uh, one of the things that has been really great for us is we built this second app in Shopify which is just been incredible for the business we are one of the top apps now in Shopify it processes a lot of images it's completely automated and I think that's been really important in the last couple of years just because it's really pushed our brand awareness to all the e-commerce stores. I mean, we have about 20,000 Shopify stores using it. So that's been critical, I think, so far. That's amazing. And so do you do you have any sort of, do you have a North Star or particular KPIs that you measure being sort of a SaaS platform? Yeah, it would definitely be images processed at the moment. But also, I mean, We should have one, we should focus, but I look at a couple of metrics. So images process, number of signups per day. So see that we're constantly growing and also then NPS for our existing customers from a product standpoint to make sure that they're happy with our product. How do you go about measuring the the NPS? We just use a NPS service and then, yeah, and interview our existing customers. I mean, obviously, you have to be careful about who sits in that cohort, but we have done that a couple of times and it's interesting to see. Yeah, awesome. It's pretty good, yeah. And what's what's the best bit of advice that you've been given throughout your journey? Oh, a couple of things. So I would say one interesting piece of advice was, and I'm trying to practice this all the time, is always be hiring. I couldn't understand why people like, always be hiring. And I was like, I don't have the money. How am I going to hire? And what they actually mean is always have those people in your back pocket ready to hire. Because even if you go out and fundraise and have $2 million or $5 million or $10 million in the bank, how who like you might be ready to go with that money in the bank, but you won't know who to bring on board. So I say you can always be meeting people. I think as the CEO, your job is to make sure you have enough money in the bank and you have the right people on the team to execute on your vision. So I say always meet with different people just in case they might not be ready to leave their role now. They might be way too expensive and you think, okay, they're 300K a year, I'll never be able to afford this. But when you do have the money, you want to be able to bring them on board and definitely good tech people will want to join you more so if they know who you are and your journey. So I think that's really critical. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really good advice. And what advice would you share to founders that are sort of starting out today uh, on their journey as an entrepreneur and building their startup? I would focus on team first. I think, and this doesn't mean like building an amazing team doesn't mean you have to pay a lot. It's, I think when I started out, you know, I had one corporate job in London and there was a team of four people and I had been to university for one year and then I lived in the country. So I didn't go to university. I didn't have a large pool of people that I would pull from. If I was building a company again today, I have a ton of founder friends, amazing people who have built companies, sold companies, had failed companies who have been at other companies. And so I would take all those people and build my company. So you want to basically, my advice is really surround yourself with great people. And then my other pieces of advice for all the Australians who are listening is think bigger. 
So when I first arrived in the Bay Area, everyone kept saying, think bigger, think bigger. But I didn't really know what that meant. And so I always say to founders, well, if I gave you $100 million today, what would you build and what would your company look like? Because what we do is we focus on, okay, when I have a million dollars in the bank, this is what I'm going to build. We don't look at the $100 million in the bank and then work backwards. We just go from one to five, like, you know, seed to series A, et cetera. And I think it's really important to actually look at, well, it helps the whole think bigger if you work backwards. That's great advice, Holly. So what's next for Pixie? What what does the future look like five years down the path? What's your big vision? My dream is to build an AI employee that runs your store. I know it's a massive challenge and I know we've done like one tiny piece and we are working on some AI at the moment that can become part of this employee that I want to build. But I love software and I love products and I love products that really help people and businesses be more efficient. And I just feel that there are mundane tasks that are done all the time and they could be done by software. And when I say software is I don't want to build another dashboard for someone to log in. It really should do the whole thing for you. And we've kind of proved that out with our Shopify app in that it's literally in store. It analyzes your store. It tells you what you need to fix, which images you need to fix, and you press one button if you want to fix them, yes or no, and that's it, and then it does it for you. And so we've taken that piece, and I would like love to build that out. I love it. It's, uh, that sounds like a great vision for the next uh, five years. So well done. Yeah. Thank well, you. thanks so much for joining us on Founders and Air, Holly. It's been uh, fascinating hearing your story, and I'm, I'm sure you've inspired lots of other entrepreneurs across the world. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum, a podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.